Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, everybody. Welcome today to Bible study here. I'm coming to you from Arlington, Virginia, and anxious to settle myself down and just be with you for a little while this morning to look at St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I hope you had a restful night, and I hope that this Bible study is a a blessing and a way to begin the day with joy. I'm going to take the text this morning because I do have one from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I'd like to begin by reading that to you this morning. And I'm using a version called the Living Bible. It helps to make some of the, some of the concepts a little bit more understandable. Here we go. Ephesians 3. Verse 1, Paul, the servant of Christ, and here in jail because of you, for preaching that you Gentiles are a part of God's house. No doubt, you already know that God has given me this special work of showing God's favor to you Gentiles, as I briefly mentioned before in one of my letters. God himself showed me this secret plan of his, that the Gentiles, too, are included in his kindness. I say this to explain to you how I know about these things. In olden times, God did not share this plan with his people. But now he has revealed it by the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets. And this is the secret, that the Gentiles will have their full share with the Jews in all the riches inherited by God's sons. Both are invited to belong to his church. And all of God's promises of mighty blessings through Christ apply to them, both when they accepted the good news about Christ and what he has done for them. God has given me the wonderful privilege of telling everyone about this plan of his. And he's given me his power and special ability to do it well. Well, just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I'm the most useless Christian there is, yet I was the one chosen for this special joy of telling the Gentiles the glad news of the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And to explain to everyone that God is the Savior of the Gentiles too. Just as he who made all things had secretly planned from the beginning. And his reason? To show to all the rulers in heaven how perfectly wise he is when all his family, Jews and Gentiles alike, are seen to be joined together in his church 
in just the way he had always planned it, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we can come fearlessly right into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome when we come with Christ and trust in him. And there is a reading for our consideration for this day, read to you there this morning. There are all kinds of ways you can study the Bible, and passages from the Bible like that, I think, uh, sometimes are best studied with a formula called uh, inductive, or something like induction, where you take uh, three concepts. First, you do an observation of the text, and then you interpret the thing. You, you look at how it can be interpreted, perhaps, from the ancient languages, and then you apply it to modern-day life, make an application of it. So, first, you, you just observe it, you look at it, talk about it a little bit, and then you, you try to interpret it, see what comes from scholarship and so forth, and then you apply it to today and to you and to yourself and to your family and to your work. And that basically is how Ephesians is set up. I mean, the first three chapters is the doctrine of Paul, Paul, and the last three chapters of Ephesians is the situation where you hear about the duties of the church more than anything else. So, so we, and this, these verses are kind of set up like that, but let's make some, let's make some observations on this text for a minute. Um, first thing I want to say to you is remember that Paul loved these people very much. He's not scolding them unless he loves them. And he's not speaking down to them at all. He's, he's just giving them words of love here and, 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 and explanation. Ephesus played a large part in Paul's ministry. He lived there for three years among those people. And here some of the scenes took place of his ministry that we remember, but a lot of times we don't remember that they took place in Ephesus like that story of the sons of Sceva that went running out of the house naked because they couldn't cast a demon out of the man in there. That took place in, in Ephesus during those three years, probably. And this story about Artemis, the goddess, the goddess there, Roman goddess Artemis from the Greek goddess Diana, who became the, uh, the, the center of figure of the town. The town was a religious town, a large town, on a harbor at the time. That's all silted in now. Ephesus is four miles from the ocean now because the ocean is, the harbor is all silted in. But in that day, Ephesus was a special place. And in Paul's ministry, he was there a long time. When he first went there, they, this interesting text comes up where he says, uh, he says, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? And, and the people there in the church there at Ephesus said, we don't even know what you're talking about. We don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And then Paul baptized them in the name of, I mean, the uh, Ephesians said they'd been baptized in the name of John. And then, and then Paul said, well, you need to be rebaptized. And he did. He baptized them in the name of Jesus. And they received the Holy Spirit. You remember that passage. But what you may not remember is it says at the end of it, that there were about 12 of them. 
So you see, it was a small crowd, small crowd of leaders that received that small group blessing of the giving of the Holy Spirit. So we can observe that Paul loves them very much. And I think that's, that's one of the main observations. Uh, Ephesus uh, was a place where religion was combined a lot through the years. And consequently, in the end, nobody paid much attention to it. What they wound up doing was selling statues of the goddess there. And you can buy them there to this day. I mean, there are gift shops all over that place selling this figurine of this this mother goddess, Artemis. And they were doing it back in Paul's day, making money off of them, making a, a living off of that. And and when Paul started preaching about this other god, well, they put her down, and the people were furious. I mean, they, and they filled up the uh, Colosseum there, which 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 seat twenty some thousand people. And they were enraged about this new religion come along. And go, everybody's going to go broke if, we, if they didn't continue making this statue to this goddess. Well, that's that's. I guess that's enough observation that, that I want to make. Uh, the text is written. Many say in jail. Paul was in jail at the time, and so anything coming out of a jail, going all the way to Ephesus at the end of a ministry, is a powerful thing. But but let's move on. Let's do some interpretation of the text a little bit here. I want to just give you a, a cautionary note about this text. Is that it's more likely that Paul was dead, had died prior to the writing of the Gospels. The Gospels are written at a later date than these works of Paul. And that's significant. I want you to think about that for a minute as we interpret it, put scholarship down on this text, and think about it. This this thing was written before the Gospels were written. Paul doesn't write talking much about the life of Jesus. He talks about the effects and the power of the Christ of faith moving through the world, moving through it, compelled by the Holy Ghost of God. So when they prayed for one another, their expectation was that they wouldn't come away having a historic understanding of the life of Jesus. They were looking for something right then, powerful, fall on them and convict them and change them. And that's what happened. That's what, and still happens today. So when we interpret this, let's, let's put Paul in his proper beginning place of the earliest documentation of what went on. The Gospels are, are, are later. And even Acts is later. Because we think that, you know, Luke wrote Acts. We always talk about that. Well, if it did, Acts is later in its writing than is Ephesians. Which means those things I quoted to you that happened in the book of Acts, Acts claims happens while they were in Ephesus. But makes that claim after this letter was in circulation. Isn't that unique? Odd, but true. Let me point out a couple of things about the 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 words in this in this thing because some of these words in this text are very significant. The first one that comes up is the word dispensation. In King James Version, that dispensation is used, and then theologians of all different kinds have made great fodder over this. I mean, this thing about there's a time set aside 
for its secret to be revealed, which Paul says happens. But um, when we look at it, it's a dispensation of God. And the word that is used is like home law or home, home, all homes together. Like we use the same word ecumenical. That is to say to bring the, bring it all together. The dispensation was poured out on everybody. Jews, Gentiles together. Paul loves them all. The Holy Spirit loves them all, whether they're Jew or Gentile, and wants to bring them into the church together, you see. So that word is used there in the second verse, the word dispensation. You might want to do some study on that. The other word is the revelation of God. Paul claims that he is the, the, the uh, carrier of a revelation from God. He's speaking a revelation from God that's taking place. You see that in the third verse. That's, that's the word uh, apocrypha, that he takes the top off of it. He's going to take it up and show us now. Apocalyptically, this is what's happening. This is an age like almost like the end of the world. This is the beginning of a new age. A new beautiful thing is happening. And what is it? Well, all of a sudden he says, it's a mystery. <laughs> Look, it's a mystery. And why would he say something like that? I mean, in the midst of trying to explain, he, he, but you'll find that the word mystery appears in the few verses that I read over three times, and it's implied more than that. Why in the world do you think that was? I think it was because mystery is uh, considered to be in that day, and in this day, something that is is uh, you have to acquire. And, it, and the word muo for mystery in the Greek means to a, 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 short, a shutting of the mouth. Uh, you can't speak it. You have the idea of silence imposed by, on it. Very secret thing. So we think that they went around sharing Christianity kind of like an evangelistic explosion. That's not true. What they actually did was reserve they were very reserved people. They held their cards close. You understand? They weren't anxious about everybody just knowing about it. They were more anxious about selection of who might know about it. Uh, we have holy all the time mysteries everywhere in the church today. In, in the Methodist church they, a few years ago, they started calling Holy Communion this holy mystery. They were trying to create a kind of a uh, appreciation of the sacrament by declaring that it had some secret aspects. And, you know, today, the only people who can serve communion is a Methodist elder, so to speak. See, it's a secret kind of thing going on there. And, and who knows what happens on the table when the body and the blood come together? And where does it, where is it, where does it become Jesus? In your mouth, as John Wesley says, or where? So it's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery. And a mystery has some freedom in it. Mystery and religion go together like peas and carrots. That's what Forrest Gump phrase, peas and carrots. They just go together. Wherever you've got a religion, you've got a secret. You've got a mystery. And uh, this was no Christianity in its early development was no, no, no different from the rest. Things were hidden. See, why would you hide them? Because... There was ungodly people in the world. 
You can't share holy things with ungodly people. Even Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine. I know I've done that. I mean, don't do that. Some reservation is important to Christians and Christianity. Well, mystery is made known by revelation, and Paul was going to make it known, see? But he was going to make it known in that mysterious way that was hidden from the world. Uh, that what was the mystery? Well, Paul lets it out here that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Israel's history now is just as important to the Gentiles as it is to the Jews. Abraham is the father of the Gentile, father of the Jew, and the the truth is he's father Abraham is is father of the Muslims. He's in that Bible. He's father of the Jews. He's in that Bible. He's father of the Christians. He's in that Bible. We are all sons and daughters of Abraham. If we ever would get that notion in our brain, maybe we'd stop fighting one another like fools. I don't know, but there's always a possibility. He also says that the mystery is that we're all together in one body. I just said that less eloquently, but that's what Paul said. That we are members together in one body. And all have the promise of Christ Jesus. That's that's his, that's the mystery that he's taking the top off of in the prior one chapter one chapter two and chapter three now verse one through twelve. He's finally got the lid off, see, and he's showing you what he what he what he believes and what he means in, in that mystery. Well, what do we do with these words? Well. These words are important. It's important that if you're going to teach the Bible, that you interpret it. So we observed it a little bit, and then we interpreted it a little bit. And now we're going to see if we can't make some applications from it. But before we run off, let me make one more observation. One more interpretation. One word, one final word is the word spirit. Where the spirit is mentioned in several now, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. You got that now? It's it's made and revealed by the spirit through Paul. And this spiritual thing is is the word pneuma, which is which is uh, like you you have a Pneumothorax, a collapsed lung, that's a, a pneuma is a word you can't breathe. The Holy Spirit has to do with breath and breathing, and breathing life into the church and breathing life into the apostles and the prophets that they might make known what this is. So it's a complex word. It's a studied word. The word is pneumatology. It's a decent word. We, sometimes we, we think it's a word of a, of a Christian that's crazy. You know, <laughs> nobody uses that word. It's about crazy. The word spirit. That's not true. It's one of the most complex, difficult theological subjects that you can study. It's a whole, whole genre. It's called pneumatology. It's a difficult text, difficult thing to handle, but quite true, quite respectable, quite honest. Just as respectable as the study of the Son, just as expect as the study of the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
pneumatology. That's a whole study of it. And in studying this, you'll find that Paul depends upon that spirit for everything. And he does it with no gospel. See, the gospel wasn't written yet. He doesn't know anything too much about the life of Jesus. He knows that he died on the cross in an ugly way. He knows that. He knows that he died for the world, the whole world, everybody in it, Jews and Gentiles. Now, that's an interesting thing to know. But he knows it with, with, without yet having been written. The, the very Gospels themselves. He knows it that without having written, yet been written the book of Acts. He knows it. He knows it because God gave it to him. God anointed him with it. Oh, my. That's a little bit of the interpretation of this text. What do we do? How do we apply this thing? What are you going to do with something unless you apply it? Well, it's important to make an application of a biblical text, but you have to be let loose to do that. Uh, you have to have a, it's called homiletics. Uh, we, what we've technically done is the exegesis and now we're going to do the homiletic. We're going to say what we think this text might mean to us today in our world. And I think a big key to it is in the very last verse there where he says, in verse 12, now we may come fearlessly right into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome when we come with Christ and trust in him. So, that's the meal ticket right there. That That's what he's trying to get us to understand. To trust Christ. Trusting now, you know, knowing only what Paul knows. And having told it as he tells it. Using the things that he, he has to talk about, to deal with. Be with Christ. Trust Christ. To have courage in his presence. If you're in the presence of Christ, to have courage, to say what you need to say, to do what you need to do. And he's talking to these people that he loves in these little churches there in Ephesus. Fearlessly, he says, you can come right into the presence of Christ, right into the middle of the temple yourself, Gentile though you are, and be with Jesus. And and, and let Jesus love you and be with you. Well, that's that's how he applies it. He applies it to everybody, the possibility of salvation for the world. Now, in the book of Acts, there's a a wonderful farewell that Paul has to the Ephesians on his last missionary journey. The ship pulls up in a nearby port, and the Ephesians come down to the ship to bid him farewell. One of the sweetest passages in the Bible and they talk about how he loved them. It's in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts and he he says here, he talks about himself a little bit which is unusual. He says, I've never been hungry for money or fine clothing. You know that these hands of mine work to pay my own way even to supply the needs of those who were with me and I was a constant example to you in helping the poor For I remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. And they wept aloud and they embraced him and 
farewell, sorrowing most of all because he said that he would never see them again when they accompanied him down to the ship. Isn't that sweet? And they let him go. He came back to Jerusalem. There he was put, changed and sent to Rome. He went to Rome where he later died. But this is a, a farewell in Acts about his leaving Ephesus for the last time. Those 12 men perhaps came back again to bid him farewell. It's a sweet thing, sweet, sweet thing. And he, and you can be assured that the things that he says he didn't need are on his mind. Silver and gold. He thought about that. He could have commanded that. He thought about his clothes. What if he didn't have the right kind of clothes? You know, think about Paul being in rags. Maybe he was. He probably wouldn't take anything that was much offered to him. So he was a, just a pilgrim on the earth now. And that's another way you can, you can apply the text to your life. But why don't you let the Lord be in control of your life? It's better. Much, much better than what you can do. And much, much better. Let the Lord, Lord be in control. I have a hymn here that I want to also use as a part of the, uh, part of the, uh, application. In the, in the church, we always use hymns to speak for us and apply things that we can't do. And there's always a last hymn in every worship service, most of the time. The preacher then on the last hymn is really trying to apply that gospel. <laughs> he, he wants you to hear the words. He wants you to hear the songs. He may want you to, to understand deeper what, what Jesus means. But his Jesus keep me near the cross. Written by a blind woman, Fanny Crosby. Sweet thing. This, uh, I've seen pictures of her in her dark glasses. She wrote many, many of our hymns. This one, Jesus keep me near the cross. There is a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross of trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright morning star sheds its beams around me. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bringing scenes before me, help me walk from day to day with his shadow o'er me. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Well, There you have it. There you have it today. What did we do? Well, we looked at the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. We did that, reading from the Living Bible. Then we discussed how we were going to do it. We talked about how it was that we were going to observe the text for a little while, then interpret the text for a little while, and then apply the text for a little while. And then... We're going to quit because we're done. How about that? God bless you. I'm glad you came to study the Bible with me this morning. Now, go somewhere and give you a good cup of coffee. Hmm? Why don't you do that? Or something like that. How about that? Bye-bye. God bless. 
Shalom.